if you would do do me a favor real quick, all right? Everybody take a very deep breath. <sighs> nice. Did you catch what just happened right there? Millions of 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 different interactions just occurred. But but I want to I want to talk about one thing in particular that I kind of want to point out. We we all just took in a lot of gas, which is kind of funny to think about. So turn to your neighbor and say, I don't want to inhale your gas. Sorry if that offended somebody. One of the most important gases we just inhaled is oxygen. We just took in Oxygen. In fact, as I've been talking from the last time that you just took a deep breath, you've probably taken a, a breath or two. Oxygen is a, a very important piece of the puzzle in our makeup. You see, as we took that breath, oxygen came rushing deep into our lungs uh, and, and, and like literally deposited itself onto our red blood cells. And it's going to ride the red blood cells like a tiny little raft all throughout our body. And literally, the breath that we take and the oxygen that we breathe enables us to motivate. It enables us to move. It enables my mouth to be talking, my brain to be processing, eyes to be seeing, ears to hear. Oxygen is such an essential part of what we do. It gives us the ability to function properly. We motivate, we move, we hear, we live because we're taking breath. We are breathing this morning. Coincidentally, if you're not breathing, then you're not alive. Very deep observation. In the Bible... One of the, the main ways, uh, ways of, of illustration that we see concerning the Holy Spirit is this idea of breath and wind. The Holy Spirit is defined by breath, by wind. In, in the Hebrew, it's, the word is ruah. In Greek, it's pneuma. They both essentially mean the same thing. Breath, wind, uh, a breeze. So, so this person of the Holy Spirit is an unseen yet tangible force, like the wind. We can't see the wind. We can feel it. We can sense when the wind is present, much like that. The Holy Spirit is full of power that we can encounter, we can sense it, we can feel it, but we can't see it. We can't see him. Did you know the Holy Spirit is a person? It's not just an energy or a force. He is real. And the only way that we can see the Holy Spirit is much like the wind. We must see the subject being motivated by the wind. Think about it in terms of of like like a sailboat on a calm lake. When the wind rushes into the sails and motivates that boat forward, we don't see the wind. We see the sailboat. 
we see the object being moved by the wind, and that is just like us. Coincidentally, when the wind stops, what happens to the sailboat? Sailboat stops, right? When the wind stops, the sailboat stops. If you take away the wind, that happens. The, the wind is responsible for the action, just like the Spirit is responsible for anything that we do on this earth in connection to God. Do me a favor. Take a breath. Now imagine trying to do that without any oxygen. It's funny how we're not very keenly aware of the oxygen in this room until it's gone. Right? If there were no oxygen in this room, we would all be having a pretty serious issue at the moment. The Holy Spirit is unseen just like this breath we breathe, yet it's vital to our existence on this earth. We have to have the Holy Spirit's presence to motivate us to be a follower of Jesus. We cannot do it on our own. That's why this person of the Holy Spirit is so vital. There's a guy by the name of Francis Chan who has a book called Unforgotten uh, or Forgotten God. Forgotten God. I think sometimes we miss this person. We miss that the Holy Spirit is present and alive and wants to move in us. I was thinking about this, this imagery of, of breath and of wind, and, and I realized a couple really important things about this. All right, so, so watch this with me. Um, the, the wind and, and the breath always goes in the direction of the Father. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is always blowing in the direction of God's will in your life. A sailboat can only go in the direction that the wind's blowing, right? And if you try to go against the wind, you're going to have a little bit of a struggle. Now, you can do it, but you're going to struggle. See, the wind is either at our backs propelling us forward, or we're walking against the wind. We're pushing against it. That's the way this life is. We're either walking in step with the Father, listening and moving about as he's asking us, or we're walking against. The wind is always blowing in the direction of the Father. If we're going to be used as a vessel for God's use, we need to be tracking in the direction that God's Spirit is telling us to go. We need to have good eyes, good ears. We need to, just like when we see that sailboat moving and you know the wind is going, that's us. We sense, we feel his presence, and we got to motivate. We step into what God is asking us to do. Um, Garth Brooks had a song um, called, uh, is, is he the, the author of this, Roping the Wind? Do you remember that song? That was like, I don't know, a long time ago. Roping the Wind. That's one of the things that I thought about when I was thinking through this uh, this week, how many times do we try to corral God's will? Like, like, like we want what we want to do, and so, and so we try to maybe convince ourselves that, that regardless of what Scripture says or maybe what we know to be true because the Holy Spirit has told us, like, like several years back, I had to move to Florida, 
And it was one of those, I knew that the Spirit was asking me to do it, and I was going to be very disobedient if I didn't go. And I tried for days to, to talk myself into this was God's will. And, and as I was thinking through that, I thought about roping the wind. Like, that's what I'm trying to do, like to corral God's spirit and get him to go in the direction. But I knew the breeze was telling me I'm going against him. I had to step into that decision. And when we did, it was one of the most life-changing things that we've ever been a part of, my wife and I. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does on this earth. He's the revelation of God. He reveals what God is speaking to us. Literally, the words that come out of God's mouth, the breath that God speaks is full of the Holy Spirit's presence. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to hear what he is asking us to do. God speaks and the Spirit motivates that speech and shows us where to go and what to do. It's just like in Genesis 1. Look, look at this passage with me. Genesis 1, uh, 1 through 3. It's on the screen. Um, I love this because this shows us that even from the very beginning, God, God's presence was there. He's hanging out the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all there. They're taking part in this creative force. And I love this. It says in, in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's responsible of creation it says the earth was out was without form and void the earth was chaos there was just nothing going on just a lot of chaos darkness was over the face of the deep and then it says the spirit of god was hovering over the waters it's as if god's holy spirit was waiting in an anticipation expectantly waiting for god to give the command and then he would jump in and take part and it says this in verse three god said let there be light and there was Literally out of the mouth of God, he spoke. The Holy Spirit that's hanging out, hovering above the waters, jumps in, motivates the speech, and light occurs. God is directing the creative traffic, and the Holy Spirit is watching it and making it take part and take place on this earth. From the very beginning of time, the Holy Spirit is the motivation of God. He speaks Spirit directs the traffic. The Spirit accomplishes God's will. By the way, did you notice God's very first act was to pierce the darkness? Dang. <laughs> the whole message of the gospel summed up in one verse, God spoke and there was light. God's words were motivated into light in a dark place by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Do you see how important the presence of God's Spirit is on this earth? It is vital to us being alive. But you see, along the way, God's presence on this earth was interrupted. The, if you read on in, in, the, in the creation narrative, God goes on and, and he creates the rest of the world by breathing these things into existence. This is God said, let there be light. God said, let there be planets, let there be plants, let there be vegetation, so on and so forth. He speaks and the Holy Spirit motivates all of this to come into existence. 
And then he creates man and woman. Look at this picture real quick. This is, this is from my mind. Um, I tried to, I guess, get it as close to what I can understand as possible, kind of how we function. Um, this is not scientific in any way, shape, or form. This is just out of my own brain. Uh, so, so here is pre-fall man. All right, Adam and Eve hanging out with God. There's uninterrupted community with God. God creates man and woman to be in intimate community, constant community. And, and like it says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, and it also says in Hebrews 4, that we are created body, soul, and spirit. We kind of have a, uh, we mirror the Trinity. In Genesis 1.26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So, so God created a, a, a miniature version of himself, a kind of a, a little, a mini trinity, if you will, within us. We have uh, a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. Our body we can see very easily, right? You got the flesh on you. Our soul is our individual DNA, like that which makes up us, which makes us who we are. And then the spirit of us is what motivates us and drives us. Pre-fall, that was Perfect. We were absolutely perfect. And then our heart is kind of the seat, the throne of our life, the very center of who we are. And, and so um, I'd wager that, that probably most of you know the story. Uh, Adam and Eve, they decided that they wanted to be more like God than he intended them to be. They wanted to know the difference between good and evil. They wanted to be good judges, which we all know were not good judges, right? I'm a terrible judge. I'm terrible at judging others. I'm terrible at judging myself. And so sin entered the world when, when they ate of the fruit. And at that moment, it created a gap between us and God. Look, look at this next um, uh, slide, kind of get an idea of that. So, so there is a gap. There's a ceiling between us and God. The community has been broken we do not have constant community the way we used to because of that outer circle. We are sin-infused. From the very core of who we are, we are bent in the wrong direction. You see how the sin goes from the body, our bodies are decaying. Is your body falling apart? Yes. <laughs> you can work out all day long. Guess what? You still die. You can eat healthy all day long. Guess what? You still die, all right? Our bodies are decaying. Our souls and our spirit are tainted. We're bent the wrong way. Our heart on the throne of ourself, we desire to do the wrong thing. Guess what? I don't have to train my children to be sinful. They're just born that way. Little savages. <laughs> now I can help them maybe be moral, but they're bent in the wrong direction. We're born with a desire to go against the wind. We're bent with a desire to rebel. And so, at the very core of who we are, God's presence is unable to communicate clearly with us. He cannot speak to us fully like He used to because we became unworthy of the fullness of God. It's almost like you're driving down the road and like the radio's playing and it's very clear and all of a sudden you step into static and it's going 
and you can't hear anything. You can't hear the words. All of a sudden, the song isn't playing anymore, and you're like, what happened? Sin entered, and this ceiling was created. We can't see, feel, hear God. Now watch this. Um, This is proof of it. In Genesis 5, after sin happens, look at this verse, Genesis 5, 3. It says this, um, when Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and he named him Seth. Genesis one twenty six says we're created after God's image and God's likeness. When sin entered, Genesis 5.3 says we bear a new spirit, the spirit of Adam. We have inherited a sin nature from our earthly father, Adam. And every single one of us is born in his image and in his likeness. The very clarity that we could have experienced pre-fall when we were perfect has now been disrupted because of the image of Adam. We all bear it. We've inherited this sinful disposition that's infused to every part of our body. (laughs) But what's crazy is because God loves us so much, because his, his heart is so passionate for us, he did not take the story that he was writing about community with us and him and crumble it up and start over. Oh, (laughs) he got creative with the story. He begins by sending the message that he's closing the gap. The ceiling is going to be torn off soon. The interrupted community that we experience is going to be no more one day. And I don't have the time to kind of look at all these stories of how and where the Holy Spirit shows up in the Old Testament particularly. I kind of want to look at a few things, but God moves throughout the, the, whole, the Old Testament in a very limited manner. Okay, now understand that it's limited not because God's incapable, but because we're sinful, because we've become sin. And so the role of the Holy Spirit has not changed From the beginning of time, the Holy Spirit has not changed. What's changed is us. Because God sent his son to restore the community. And what Jesus did through the redemptive work on the cross has helped restore that community. And guess what? He's still making us new. So, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see stories like in Exodus 14 where the people of Israel literally walk through the Red Sea on dry ground, and it says that God's Spirit literally separates the waters and creates a pathway for the people of Israel to cross over while they're being pursued by the king Pharaoh of Egypt and a huge army coming to re-enslave them. And God's Spirit is responsible for parting those waters and letting Israel get safely across and then... He closes the gates. Or you you see in Judges 6 where it says that literally the Holy Spirit, Spirit clothed Gideon. The Holy Spirit put Gideon on like a jacket. 
The Spirit enveloped him, empowering him to be the leader of the people of Israel. God's Spirit gave Gideon wisdom and gave him courage to lead. And you see all throughout the books of prophecy like Micah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and, and so on and so forth that the, the Holy Spirit would literally drop down and empower these prophets to speak to the people of Israel. He would give them a word directly out of the mouth of God and then go back. God would speak prophetically. Did you know that God still speaks today? Did you know that God wants to use the things that are around us to communicate what he's trying to say to us? Did you know that God can communicate through text messages? He did that this week for me. I was sitting in a uh, waiting room uh, getting ready to go into this very important meeting. And I was going to be pitching uh, some vision on what Hope City is and the whole downtown thing and, and what God is doing downtown and how he's moving in and, up, in and through us. And, and, uh, and I'm just I'm sitting there praying and I'm asking God, I, just, I need you to lead. I need you to, to use me. I want to be a vessel. God, you, you've given us you know, this ability to, to do this. And so, so Lord, just, just you do your thing and help me to get out of the way. And I'm sitting there and literally I stand up to walk into this boardroom to have this conversation with these people and I get a text message. And so right before I walk in, I pull my phone out and look at it and it was a friend of mine from Charlotte who had no clue that this was going on. And he he and I will every now and again text back back and forth just kind of some encouraging words and stuff like that. And, and he said, he said, man, the, the rain is reminding me of God's grace this morning, how how his grace covers us and washes us and makes us clean. And, and I'm just, I want to encourage you this morning, just raise the banner of Jesus, go, go in power, let the Holy Spirit lead you. And then he quoted Matthew 6, It says, but seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you. And I was sitting there like, dude, you don't even know <laughs> how timely this is. I'm getting ready to walk in here and pitch this vision of, of Hope City, and you're reminding me that my pitch is God's kingdom. That's what we're here to do, to speak God's kingdom, to preach God's kingdom, to take God's kingdom from inside us to his community. And the Spirit is what motivates that. And it was just a gentle but confident reminder the Holy Spirit has already gone in front of you. The Holy Spirit's already there. He's blowing you in the right direction. Just go with the wind at your back and the confidence that God is going to move you forward wherever you need to go. He will direct the creative traffic. I love that. But you see, the thing is, is that that distance between us and God when you read in the Old Testament, the, the, the miracles that God did were like fireworks. They were really pretty, and that was awesome, and people were like, wow, God's really good. But that's not enough. The Holy Spirit just dropping down occasionally and kind of doing something and reminding people that God's real, God's doing his thing, that, that's not enough. 
the, the, the miracles of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit showing up served as a foreshadowing of what God was getting ready to do. He was getting ready to unleash his spirit all over the world. As you see, the Holy Spirit dropping in occasionally is not enough to satisfy a holy God who cannot be in the community with sin. He cannot exist with us because he is holy and we are not. So what happens toward the end of the Old Testament is one of the most beautiful foreshadowing of what God wants to do and what he has done and what he is doing right now. I love this promise that he spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. And it's this. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel tells the people of Israel, God wants to sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. You see, this reminds me of the symbol of baptism. We say that we're dying to our sin when we go under the water because there's no air there. We can't breathe it. And then we come up in a new life. And God promises, who will cleanse us? He will cleanse us. I will cleanse you and you shall be clean from all your idols. Guess what? Everything that we've ever put in front of God every priority that we've ever placed over him and every idol that we're going to put in front of God, if you're a follower of Jesus today, guess what? Because of what he did through Jesus on the cross, he's made us clean. All of our idols have been put away. All of the the water has washed us clean. Everything that is blocking the community between us and him God promises he will take care of. Not you, he. What we do is submit. We must be willing to die. Because what happens when you die? Your heart stops beating. You stop breathing air, right? And so look at this part. I love this. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'm going to put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh because a heart of stone wasn't designed to be in a body of flesh. He says, I will give you a heart of flesh. A heart that's open to hearing and receiving God's word and God's revelation that has his, uh, our, our tune is tuned into what he wants to do. That's what a heart of flesh does. Get this. In the Old Testament, the, the old way of following a set of rules written on a tablet of stone is specifically designed for hearts of stone. But God knew that wasn't enough. So he sent his son in the flesh to give us a heart of flesh. 
What beautiful imagery. What beautiful symbolism of what he is calling us to do. And then the the game changer. The sign that we are walking with Christ. The sign that we are following him. In verse 27, it says, I will put my spirit within you. It's not enough just to have a perfect spirit. It's not enough to have a God-fearing spirit. We have to have His spirit that assures us of our salvation. His spirit that baptizes us with His presence. That motivates us to walk with Him. He says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You'll dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. Get, Get this, you shall be my people. And I will be your God. You know what I heard a lot of as I read that? A lot of God saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, not you're going to do this and you're going to do that. I heard once I do this, once I redeem you, once I give you a heart of flesh and I give you a new spirit, guess what's going to follow suit? Our desire to want to serve Him. Not perfection. His perfection. You know how he caused us to to follow his ways, his statutes, and be careful to obey his rules? He sent his son to do it for us. The perfection of Jesus has been exchanged in us for our inability to follow him in a holy way. (laughs) Do this for me. Take a breath. Just as simple as breathing the air we breathe, God's presence has been unleashed in this world. And He's awaiting and actively moving about, wanting to motivate us to be His ambassadors, His spokespeople for a new breath, a new way of life. He is making all things new. Look at this last graph. God took our sin, washed it away. He washed us clean from all our, our, our idolatry. And get this, the Holy Spirit infuses us from our body, our soul, and our spirit down to our heart. God gives us a new heart. And that community is restored. We're in the process of being made new, friends. Jesus is real. He is returning. And one day, we are going to see our Creator. And in the meantime, the assurance that we're following Him is the presence of the Spirit on this earth. The Holy Spirit is vital to our existence. He is the guarantee that we have a new heart and a new desire and a new motivation. So I want to encourage you this morning. Receive that Spirit. Walk in it. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Some of you may be hearing this and and realizing that 
your heart isn't that new. Maybe you still have that heart of stone that's bent trying to do the rules and trying to live your own life. So if that's you this morning, if you need a new heart today, would you just raise your hand? Jesus can replace that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And some of you in here, you've been walking with Jesus for a while, but you know that the Spirit's presence has become dull. It's not as sharp as it used to be. You're not hearing as clearly as maybe you once were. It says He's put a Spirit in you. He's assured you not only of your salvation, but He's empowering you to go and to move and to be an ambassador for this place. And if you just need more of the Spirit's presence, if you need to die more and get more of Him, if that's you, just raise your hand. Yes. Thank you. Spirit wants to move in this place. He is moving. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much for how you're moving, how you're working, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you didn't leave us alone. Even after you sent Jesus, God, you didn't just say, that's it. Hope you guys can make it till the end. No, you're empowering us through your spirit. Lord, he is the assurance of our salvation, the motivator of our, our, our ability to follow your will, God. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would just have freedom to move and work in this place right here, right now, as we breathe in your air, as we take in what you've given us, Father, let us experience you in a fresh way, God. Let's see a fresh fire, fresh soul would come and and motivate and move in us, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Pray these things in your name, amen. We're going to sing a song, so if you guys would just stand up for a minute. I want to kind of preface this, and I want you to think on this as we sing this, okay? The song, it says, fire, fall down. All right, and and, and what I want to do is I want to encourage you. What kindles a flame? Oxygen. If you want a bigger fire, you put more air on the fire. You put more oxygen into the fire. Those of us who are followers of Jesus today, the fire has been lit. It might be really dim, but it's there. And I want to encourage you, if you want to see that flame like blow up inside you and literally take you over, the fire has to fall. We have to pour oxygen on that fire. We have to breathe new life into our faith in Him. Let His oxygen come into our lungs and light us up for Christ. He'll do it. He promises and He stays true to His Word. So as you sing that this morning, think about what needs to go away so that you can hear the Spirit more clearly. Let's sing.